Chapter Seven of Entrapped by Alice Mangold Deal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The solicitor did not exactly start. He was too practised a lawyer to betray himself in that absurd fashion. But he gave Andrew Quarles a long, inquiring stare over his pince-nez. Then he removed them. I quite expected that you would be able to tell me all about the young lady he began with cautious deliberation all i know is that she is some one in whom my late client your adoptive father was greatly interested that occasionally her health gives way that she is by nature timid and a recluse and that occasionally she has visited here ostensibly as a guest of mrs slee's that is really all i do know the girl in white exclaimed andrew what do i mean that I have seen her now and again, and set her down as some friend of Mrs. Slee's. I dare say, then, Mrs. Slee will be able to tell you a great deal about her, said Mr. Purlby slowly, with a complacent smile. My only concern with the young lady is this. Do you accept her as your ward? Which is tantamount to asking whether you accept or renounce your fortune. "'My dear, good sir, of course I accept everything,' returned Andrew. "'I only wish to understand my position. That is all. "'Have you that letter of my—my father's with you?' "'It is here,' said the lawyer, drawing a square envelope from his bag. "'As you see, it is marked, "'to be retained by Mr. Purlby after its perusal "'on the occasion of the reading of my will by himself "'and my adopted son Andrew. "'Shall I break the seals and read it first? asked the lawyer andrew readily acquiesced so mr purlby resettled his discarded pince-nez and carefully breaking the three black seals which were seemingly impressed by the big gold signet ring taken from the finger of the deceased which the undertaker had delivered to the lawyer read the writing upon a sheet of ordinary note-paper contained in the envelope with minute care and attention andrew watched him narrowly the while but could not judge of the impression made upon him by the document. The expression of his face was rigidly vacuous. Then the lawyer handed the sheet to his new client, and Andrew read, Mr. Purlby and Andrew, Margaret Money is to live at Appleby Grange, where she now resides, with a trustworthy housekeeper and two maid-servants. Mrs. Slee is to have the option of living with her as companion at a suitable salary. The house is to be kept in thorough repair, and Margaret is to continue to wear suitable clothing chosen by Mrs. Walters and Mrs. Slee, the bills to be defrayed by yourself. My desire is, Andrew, that you should visit her, certainly once a month, if possible, once a fortnight, that her medical adviser should continue to visit her as heretofore, and that Mr. Purlby himself should visit her once a month, and make the inquiries into and arrangements anent her welfare that I have hitherto made myself. When Margaret Money dies, I wish her to be buried in the same grave as myself, or, if this is not possible, in a grave as near to mine as possible. Andrew Quarles You are surprised? asked Mr. Purlby, as Andrew handed the sheet to him in silence. The young man shrugged his shoulders. Where is Appleby Grange? The first time I heard of it was when you were reading the will, he returned. It is in Oxfordshire, a solitary kind of place, I believe. I have not been there, said Mr. Purlby. But now, what do you think? 
had we not better have mrs slee in and talk things over andrew acquiescing the bell was rung and a message sent to mrs slee by phoebe mr purlby had but just concluded his recommendation to andrew not to frighten the poor woman who would naturally feel complicity in her late master's secrets although it had been her bounden duty to keep them intact when mrs slee appeared at the door looking old and tottery come in mrs slee exclaimed mr purlby genially and he rose and placed a chair for her close to his own we are not going to bother you or detain you you are a busy person we know but you can help mr andrew here more than any one can in his fulfilment of poor mr quarles's wishes and knowing your devotion to your late master i am sure you will be only too glad to do that his careful cajolery had some effect still as mrs slee accepted the chair placed for her she looked more like a victim than a ready assistant to the furtherance of the late squire's testamentary desires seeing which mr purlby assumed a still more cheery manner my dear mrs slee mr quarles left a letter as well as a will in which he informs us you will tell us all about his ward miss margaret money he began brightly mrs slee stiffened and bridled she gave the lawyer a resentful glance what i know of miss margaret amounts to nothing at all sir she resolutely replied oh come now that's putting it a little too strong mrs slee returned mr purlby in pleasant expostulation it is making your late master out well a story-teller he says you do know and you say you don't i am sure you do not wish to give a flat denial to a statement made by the dead master you so regret and honour no no of course you do not now suppose to shorten matters we put it this way you will tell us all you do know of miss money begin at the beginning and go on to the last time you had anything to do with her mrs slee glanced despairingly from the lawyer to andrew then back to mr purlby then she set her lips tightly and asked if she might see the letter this being handed to her immediately by mr purlby she put on her spectacles read it carefully two or three times then apparently relieved in her mind returned it to the solicitor i am glad miss margaret's a-going to be took care of not that she ain't been but that now mr quarles is dead she's about lost the only friend she seems to have ad in all her life poor soul she began i can't tell you who she is mr purlby and mr andrew not if i wor to be killed for it the next minute that i can't the first i ever heerd or see of her was one summer's day a hot june day it was nigh upon midsummer when the squire comes to me slee he says sharp as he used to speak poor soul his bark was allers worse than his bite as every one knows as does him justice slee i want you to do something very particular for me i've got a young friend as i made acquaintance with casual like and i asked her ear but you know what a country place is and this place in particular ow they'll talk and say all sorts o things if she's seen visitin me i want er to come ere private like just as if she was your child or niece or friend you was a havin to stay surreptitious like i saw what ye wanted at once mr purlby and mr andrew and i didn't ask no further questions e bein my master and me is servant but did as i was told 
he told me to go and meet her in the evening and i did so and brought her back she was a pretty girl then about twelve i should say it's eight year ago come midsummer and she called the squire guardy she stopped three weeks that time and used to meet him about the grounds he took care never to be seen with her and i soon understood as ow she was livin at the squire's place near oxford called appleby grange with an ousekeeper as had been a nurse and two woman servants no sir the child didn't seem to ave any one belongin to her nor to know where she was bored she'd been at appleby grange with mrs walters the ousekeeper ever since she took notice like but that's just where it is miss margaret ain't like other folks in her perceivings what do i mean she's all right enough sometimes though while her body's growed her mind ain't growed along with it child she was when she first come here and child she is at this very minute in my belief what some calls a softy and some calls an innocent how many times has she been here well i haven't so to say counted but she has allers come in the spring when the buttercups and young things calves and lambs and young chickens and ducks and such was about she was that partial to spring things mr quarles liked to see her over em then she come when the rose garden was in bloom she liked to live there pretty well poor dear till mr andrew come when she was skeered and didn't like to be about i never told mr quarles in so many words mr andrew that she was frighted of you but she was and when miss zoe come she was nearly out of her mind for fear of her she's a pretty gal as ever was i'll say that much for her but i don't believe as goin to see her as the squire says will be much good you see he didn't rightly know ow strangers about frightened the poor gal i didn't like to tell him for i could see as he set great store by her and never once thought as i thought and other people would have thought if they'd a known her that poor gal she was simple he was real fond of miss margaret was mr quarles and she of him er guardy as she called him poor soul mrs slee sniffed and dabbed her eyes with a black-bordered handkerchief upon which with sympathy and thanks mr purlby notified that he and mr andrew were loath to trouble her any further his last words as he closed the door upon her retreating figure contained complimentary allusions to her obedient devotion to the late squire's wishes and hopes that she would assist him and the present mr quarles in their future furtherance i'm sure i hope so sir she faltered departing for i don't know who should think of him now he's gone if i didn't bein his nurse from childhood up as they say mr purlby cleared his throat as he returned to where andrew was sitting deeply in thought and sat down once more we are hardly much wiser on the subject of your ward miss margaret money than we were before are we mr quarles he dryly said still perhaps we may be better in the darkness of ignorance than with a half knowledge of the subject it is so well said that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing andrew made no reply or comment two points absorbed his attention one was the fact that margaret money's seeming mental deficiencies prevented and apparently had hitherto prevented any question of a matrimonial complication with himself or any other man 
either now or in the future the other was his projected squaring of his trustee so as to bind him to him with hooks of steel my dear mr purlby all i wish is to carry out my late adoptive father's wishes in toto i am sure you believe that of me he earnestly began leaning forward and resting his arms on the table as he gazed full into his legal adviser's eyes but somehow i feel very incompetent to do so i hope you will help me stop wait hear me out no one is better aware than i am how valuable your time is not only as a much appreciated lawyer in your own person but as a prominent member of a firm second to none in reputation i do not ask you to waste your precious hours on me i only beg this of you arrange everything all responsibilities left me by my late adoptive father and charge me the extreme value of every hour spent on my behalf no you must not deny me this i am determined you shall not be imposed upon by myself or any one else i am also determined that any one who helps me shall not suffer for it you will not let me fall into less scrupulous less honourable hands than yours mr purlby will you believe me the world is not a world of philanthropists any more than it is a world of rascals i am convinced of that my dear sir you do me honour and yourself as well said mr purlby who was not at all taken aback nor perhaps surprised he had formed his own estimate of the late squire's adopted son long ago and one of its items was that he was very able very able indeed i can only say this the confidence you repose in me is not misplaced nor will you have any cause to regret it a mutual understanding established andrew became expansive he told mr purlby what he already knew that he loved his supposed cousin zoe and intended to make her his wife i had meant this before my father's death and i feel i should have brought him round to my way of thinking i assure you mr purlby i also feel that if anything is really true that believers tell us of a future state he thinks very differently now of our marriage he went on glibly if not to the attentive lawyer convincingly at all times james purlby was a difficult man to convince and my intention then is doubly trebly my intention now when i have good reason to know that the poor girl is wrongfully suspected of having poisoned her uncle mr purlby gasped my god he exclaimed off guard astonished at the sudden cool assertion of what he might dimly have suggested to himself but which was like a moral bombshell uttered in that fashion pray pray don't say that you must be mistaken surely andrew shook his head with a sad air i am not mr purlby more's the pity he said poor girl it is cruel unjust horrible and my one desire is that she should never know of it it would be the very last idea to cross her mind she was such a perfect angel to him and he was very trying at times no for her sake and she deserves every consideration i must waive everything i must even risk shocking the pious public there is but one course to take to marry her at once and going abroad to live the scandal down for scandal it is and will be there is no help for it that absurd verdict of those asses of jurymen ensured that mr purlby if surprised and a little perplexed did not allow emotion to outbalance sober judgment 
when he left heatherly court an hour later he had practically acceded to all that his new and liberal client proposed and so ably as he termed it had andrew stated his propositions that he returned to town not only with a clear conscience but in for him high spirits his client hardly seemed in a similar humour when left to himself he longed to see zoe but he had a dismal haunting fear which held him back a dread lest she should suspect him of what he dared not tell himself he paced the library summoning up every grain of courage he possessed to face her and fight his own battles his heart would sink would fail him do what he might i must take her by storm he moodily told himself at last there is no other way i must take her by storm End of chapter 7